Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. While I'm queuing that up, I want to tell you that I got an amazing tour of Greenwich Village from Steve Van Zandt's wife, Maureen. And uh, she took us to all these places that she had been with Jimi Hendrix. She took us to the original Cafe Watch, to the Electric Factory. And Timmy would have loved it. She took us to Dylan's, the apartment where Dylan wrote all these things. And when you stand on his stoop and look, you are looking right at the 4th Street street sign. That That's one of the reasons I picked this is because you took me on that very tour, Jeff. Did I really? Yes, I see. I, jackass. When did I do that? <laughs> Are you sure that was me? Because I it was, just. It was like a week after she took you on that tour. And then. Oh, I my went, God. That's right. <laughs> it was this beginning. meaningful yeah. moment for me. That's and you're right. like, oh, I'm yeah. so glad I was able to give that to you. Well, here, here I'll make up for it by playing, <laughs> playing the song in three minutes. Here we go. Coming up. <laughs> Fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys. Fellas, how are you? We're in New York. The big at well, at least two of us are. Jeff is taking a few days away. Uh, from the podcast, Ben, apparently he did not like your recent success and punched you at the podcast practice facility. Is that what happened? Oh, I so, see what's happening so here. So we have to give him a little space. Uh, 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 so I'm the a, Jordan Poole in this story? You're that the was, Jordan Poole. <laughs> that was tough. You actually insulted me. I thought you were going to insult Jeff. I know, that's great. I'm more than happy to be the Draymond of uh, the Draymond Jordan Poole choices. Just Ah, oh, boy. Ah, oh, poor Draymond. Angry, angry young man, to quote Krusty the Clown. He's the veteran, <laughs> and he's the angry young man. Yeah, uh, not a good not a good look. All right, well, I wanted to get a, a quick shot across the bow. Um, you know, it comes you know from- if I were a Celtics fan right now, I might not throw stones because <laughs> I could haymaker right back, but I I'm, I'm going to show some restraint. Thank you. Unlike yeah. your head coach. Oh, oh see what I did? I did it. I didn't show restraint. So welcome to 50 <laughs> Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys here on the Electricast Podcast Network. Uh, more on that in just a second. We actually have some uh, some business to attend to, gentlemen. Um, but on our musical road trip, episode three, we have landed in New York City. Can I, before we do that, can I just oh. share musical journeys really quickly? Okay. I'm just breaking in. Um, 
I saw Daniel Romano last night, finally, at the chapel in uh, my home city of San Francisco. Nice. And you guys have to see the show. It was one of the best shows I've seen in a really long time. I just, they just absolutely knocked me out of my ass. The this opening the, act was the, uh, guy from, the guy from Canada who. This is the guy from Canada. Was my, my 2021 pick. Ben, he played 20 songs. How long was the set? <laughs> First of all, you're making me really happy. Second of all, I'm looking up Danny Romano tour dates right now as we speak. Oh, awesome. 20 songs. Man, I'm hoping for 60 minutes. 55, 55 minutes because there is no space between songs. And when I say no space, they played 17 songs without any interruption of any kind. Just bang, wow. next song, bang, next song. Then they all stood there and let us clap for them for about a 15 count. They literally just put their instruments down and stood there smiling at us. Then they put on their instruments and play a three song, eight minute encore. And got, I mean... <laughs> And I was exhausted. If they played another five minutes, I would have had to go lie down. It was just, oh man, was huh. it a great, a great experience. And Carson McCone opened and she's in the band so that she does a set that opens where the whole band backs her. And then she becomes the, one of the singers for Daniel Romano's outfit. And it's a whole family nice. affair. I actually hung out afterwards to accost them at merch and uh. at the tour bus. And they're actually even nicer in person than they are an amazing rock and roll band. So ladies and gentlemen, go see Daniel Romano's outfit. It's a, it. it's a plans changing event when they come oh. to your town. Awesome. Although I bring you ill tidings. Oh no. Jeff, you know where they're going from here? I know they're going like North and then back home to Canada. It's not looking good. They go Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Saskatchewan, and then they do 18 <laughs> dates in Canada and end. So unless oh. you and I are going to meet in Montreal in a month and a half, we're screwed. Dang. Well, we do have Canadian listeners, do we not, marketing department? If you're a Canadian do. listener, don't They're, miss they out. Be all over this. Dude, I'm sorry. I'm all worked up. I played my show last Friday night, and it went well, and I'm just all full of myself. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll scale it back. So you scale it back. You opened for whom? I opened for Stroke 9. Do you remember Stroke 9? Yeah. Little Black Backpack? And how did, how did you do? How'd it go? It went great. We had a huge crowd and uh, I did not fall down or injure myself in the oh. process of playing an opening set. So excellent. Yeah, what, it was what great. What did you close with? I closed with Emily. It nice. was a, a crowd pleasing uh, event. Oh, that so. is great. Con congratulations. Yeah. Maybe you guys were apologize. both you guys were both in my head and in my heart. You were sorely missed. Oh. So. I apologize to Jeff offline. Um, I had like eight things to do this weekend, including things in New York <laughs> City where I was doing uh, doing research for the podcast. So I missed it. But I will not miss it again. I promise you. I'm going to be at the next show. So I'm you... going to the next show's in Knoxville. You keep having to travel. <laughs> I'm coming to you. you. You are from New York City, are you not, Ben Barton? I am indeed, although born in Berkeley, raised in New York. I mean, all my memories are from New York. And actually, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts on the coming home theme to this. Nice. Oh, right. Well, I love that. Let's have a disclaimer right from the get-go. There's no way I can do justice uh, to the number of artists that come out of New York, the number of songs about New York City. It's just, it's overwhelming. Um I mean, I feel we should do a whole, we could do a whole podcast just on Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand. Don't you think? That would be amazing. I would really like that. How have we not done that yet? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> 
I, I, and listen, all I wanted, I don't actually want to talk about Neil Diamond. I just want to talk about the imitation of Neil Diamond as a psychopath. <laughs> so that's, like, that's my favorite Neil Diamond. That's the best. Yes, it is. That's who he actually is to me now. Um, and we, at, at the end of this podcast, stick, stick around because we got an artist in residence. Uh, Jeff, tell us about our artist in residence. Our artist in residence, I cannot believe we pulled this off, but Jack Rabbit, who has produced published and written 90% of the big takeover since 1980 wow. is our artist in reticence. He's got a residence. He's going to talk <laughs> New York city with us. He's he might be an artist in reticence too. Uh, we'll yeah, see by, if the, he, by the time we're done with him. Yeah. By the time we're done with him, he's like, how did I get on the phone with these idiots? But, um, but yeah, he's, uh, he's just a, uh, an enormous influence for me. Like I've been reading his stuff. He started a big takeover when he was 18 years old. And uh, he's just a few years older than we are. And uh, I feel like I've been in an imaginary conversation with him my entire adult life. So I am thrilled to have gotten on the phone and uh, and chatted with him directly. All right. And and Ben Barton, how many shows have you seen in New York City? Off the top of your head, just give me a a ballpark. Like 10, 20? Oh, like from from when I was a kid, too? Yeah. Oh, I I don't know, 50. Wow. A lot. Wow. Jeff, have you ever played New York City? Yeah, a bunch I of times with Jeff Rich Price. Yeah. Oh, shows I saw. Where where did you guys play? We played uh let's see. The bunch of pubs that play aren't open anymore. We played Club Tribeca, we played Joe's Pub. I played Irving Plaza. That was pretty cool. Okay. I opened for Ari Hest at Irving Plaza. Um oh, there's some other bunch of little bars as well. All Club right. Fez. I don't know. Ben, so, Tim was unprepared for there being more than one. He's like, oh my God, on, no, like, I, <laughs> look at how many I've written down of, of, of uh, venues in New York City. It's absolutely overwhelming. I got to think, I'm beginning to think, sorry, um, that New York's a little bit bigger than Boston. You wouldn't know it talking Big to time, uh, Bostoners. <laughs> that is actually one of my favorite thing about Bostonians. Is they're like you know major American cities, L.A., New York, Boston. It's one of my <laughs> yeah, it's one of my I, favorite quirks. That that regional Charlotte joke from season one still stings. I don't want to talk about that. Uh, all right, well we are arriving in New York City. I don't want any pushback on this because I've asked you guys at the beginning of this season, do you want to weigh in on the arrival songs? And you said no. You are the talent. Um, so I've chosen my arrival song and we're just going to groove to it. This is what you play when you touch down at JFK. Hit it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm up at Brooklyn, now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Narrow, but I'll be hood forever, I'm the new Sinatra, and since I made it here, I can make it anywhere, yeah, they love me everywhere, I used to cop in Harlem, all of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway, pull me back to that McDonald's, took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street, catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry, cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus, driving so slow, but BK is from Texas, me, I'm up at Bed-Stuy, home of that boy Biggie. Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me. Say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties. Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five. Nigga, I be spiked out, I could trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from...
Okay, so our parents wouldn't have picked that, right? Our parents would have picked Frank Sinatra. Without question. Without question. I, I have no notes on that. That's a great choice. That's our, a fantastic selection, and that's tied with New York, New York by Sinatra as the official theme song for the city. That's a great one. Great. Yep. I, I think my older brother would have picked Billy Joel. Oh, New York, New York State of Mind. <laughs> and I it's think, not even the best song called New York State of Mind. <laughs> that's right. And I think my daughter would have uh, would have picked uh, Taylor Swift. Welcome to New York. Yeah, also. we will discuss that. That's all on my list. All right. All right. Um, do you remember the ad for to for tourism to New yes. York from the late seventies? Because that's my it? unofficial. I love New York. What a great vacation. That's the that, one that really that song when you grow up when you grow up great. outside of New York, that's the song that they pummeled you with to make you come to New York. That was when Ed Koch was like, There's less murders. Come on. <laughs> it was like the same as the come back, come back to Jamaica ad campaign. Um when so it, Jeff Simons, as we are the two outsiders here uh for New York City, what is your first memory of new york your first like you heard about the place or maybe you went there i don't know is it reggie jackson oh that's a really good question i mean yeah I, I, we didn't go we didn't go when i was a little kid we drove through the city i remember we drove through the city from rhode island to maryland when we moved and we went across the george washington bridge okay. and it was december and we were in a volkswagen bug and yeah. the wind was so strong that it was like moving the car. <laughs> like I just remember my my dad just being like, Jesus Christ, he could not control. I just and I'd so like that's my first indelible New York memory. But yeah, probably the Reggie uh Dodgers, Yankees World Series, or all those all those Yankee teams watching those games and, are probably and, my first memory. And then uh, Lennon's murder. Lennon's uh, murder is like a really indelible New York memory for me. Okay. I uh, I was born in Montclair, New Jersey, so I spent the first five years of my life just across the way. And I remember going to the Statue of Liberty as a little kid. Um, but I, I I think my first kind of you know even though I'd been to the city, my first kind of thinking about New York City was when ABC put Warriors on, um, and and watching that movie on TV terrified me like yeah. forevermore. Well, Actually, I I had a sleepover at Ron Council's house when I was like eight and they had HBO and he was the first family I knew that had it. And Warriors was on oh, man. and his dad just put it on and and uh, <laughs> Ron and his dad were watching it like they were watching the like McNeil Air Hour. And I was <laughs> absolutely terrified. Like, you know, I was like, how soft you guys are. I lived that. That was, yeah, me right there. That was what it was like for me. So Yay. yeah, now the seventies and the early eighties, uh, New York was kind of a rough place. Ben Barton, Brooklyn. Yeah. So um, I was actually not only did I go to New York this weekend, um, we went to uh, favored listener, basically favorite listener, Nina, her husband's birthday party. Uh, oh, super! And her kids' tri mitzvah, where all three of her kids had bar and bat mitzvahs. Wow! In New York City. Um, I don't know if you traveled recently, but it's completely out of hands. Like a hotel room in New York was like 400 bucks for a really shitty place. Wow. But we stayed in a room in an Airbnb in Park Slope where I grew up on the same block, Garfield Place, between six and seven that I lived about in that? from wow. 1973 to 1979. 
Half of this block were burned out buildings. Um, and so I wandered this neighborhood that I basically hadn't been to. I've been back to Park Slope where I grew up like two or three times since like 1992. Okay. Because my oh, parents wow. live in Manhattan, my brother lives in Harlem, so I just never go back. Um, so it's weird on the coming home thing. I actually felt more homey in New York before I went back to the neighborhood I grew up in. And here's what I mean by that. Like I'm basically now a really good, excellent tourist in New York. Like, <laughs> I know where good restaurants are. I know where fun things are to do. If people are like, hey, I've got 36 hours to spend in New York. I'm like, just start writing. I'm going to tell you every place to go and you're going to have a fantastic 36 hours. Awesome. But that's really different. Like going back to where I grew up, I felt so alienated. I felt so out of sync. I felt so weird. It was really, really actually kind of, at, at points it was upsetting because I was like, everything's changed so much. Like Park Slope was a mixed um, borderline dangerous. Like I got robbed, they stole my bike. They, yeah. I had a Snoopy watch and I got beaten up so they could steal my Snoopy watch. Like oh. it was a tough place to, um, to grow up. <laughs> And then I was like, you know what, though, like being the type of person who's like, it isn't like what it was when I was little, completely misunderstands New York. Like the entire thing that's lovable about New York is it's like relentless self-invention and it's complete disinterest in being what it used to be. Like the whole point of New York is like, we keep some of the old stuff. That's right. But don't worry. We're just like continuously turning over, turning over, turning over. Next. Yeah. What's next? What's next? What's next? Um and there's something so like lively and challenging and amazing about that. And so by the end of my time there, I actually did feel it wasn't like it wasn't home. Like I wasn't like where I was when I grew up, but it was home to understand that that's what New York does. It's just in continuous reinvention. It just keeps going. It keeps going. You got to keep yeah, up totally. or get out. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. It's a, speaking of, of invention, the birthplace of doo-wop. Yep. The birthplace of new wave. Yep. The birthplace of hip hop. Yep. The birthplace of disco. I was going to ask, I actually didn't know if disco was on the list, but you agree, disco's there. So uh, I am ab actually, I am quoting Wikipedia. So, so yeah. there we go. Oh, wait, hold on, you're quoting Wikipedia? I thought actually, I thought I remembered from that Pittsburgh music site that Pittsburgh was the birth of disco. <laughs> Did I have that wrong? No, doo-wop. Yeah, Pittsburgh was the birthplace of doo-wop. No, we, so we've already, Simon, we're, we're three episodes in, we've already contradicted ourselves, Jeff so that's Simon's pretty good. New York as the home of punk? Or no? Well, no, no, it starts in London, and then it comes, well, okay. American punk? The Ramones, the Ramones' first record is for some people a punk record, for other people like a rock and roll record. But the Ramones put out their record before any of the British bands put out theirs, but they're kind of happening oh. at the same time. But okay. yeah, CBGB's in London, but then there's a the whole West Coast LA punk thing, which is equally important and interesting. Okay. I mean, it's like, well, it's the first rock and roll record. It's kind of happening in a lot of different places all at the same time. Tutti so, fruity. but, but new, no, definitely not. Rocket eighty eight, probably, but not tutti fruity. <laughs> but um, you know, so yeah, no, that. But New York is, I mean, that scene is seminal to most of the music we love. And then it's also the um, the home of the folk revival, right? I mean, folk had kind of been out in the country, but as far as reviving it, that happens in Manhattan, right? Like down, you mean like Greenwich Village, like Peter, yeah. Paul, and Mary and Dylan, like that early 60s thing? Yeah, I think so. Late 50s, early 60s. So 
that's in other cities too, though. That's Philadelphia and Boston too. Like there's big folk scenes in those cities too. All right. Well, we have to get to our compilation contest. The 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 people. So yeah. By the way, sorry about last week when I said I said I would edit out the second iteration and uh, nope, kept it in. So this oh, time, before we get there, Timmy. Okay. Um, a little offline chatter for the listeners. We had a very unfortunate, I thought, email exchange where Tim said that for sure Jeff and I were going to lose this week because it was going to be a lot harder. And I realized that I may have contributed to an overly competitive and toxic environment. Ah. I may have made Tim feel like it was a competition between us. Perhaps it was when I screamed, you suck at him repeatedly. Uh, <laughs> I just, I'm here to rescind all of those comments. We work together on okay. this. When, when Jeff and I get it, like, so for example, let's say you were doing Australia, you would want to include Midnight Oil because right. you want to help us. Oh. So I just say on a going forward basis, don't feel any challenge, Tim, oh. to make it impossible for us <laughs> to listen. Give us it's some like nice the, ones. It's fine it's to like, have some hard ones. It's like one of those cooperative board games. Like yes, Tim sure. sets up the dungeon, but he yeah. wants us to escape from it. Exactly. This is a situation where we're all working together. I really feel we should have had this conversation before I put this compilation together. Oh my God. We're I mean, okay, I'm I'm getting I'm getting competitive because it sounds like we're gonna get creamed. We have 15 songs. You have to get eleven. Number your pages one through fifteen. Listeners playing at home, you may do this as well as well. One through fifteen on your mark. We get yes. twice, though. We get two listens, right? You get two less listens. Okay. All uh, right. Here we go. I promise I'm going to edit out the second listen. Go. Okay. All right. Ready? Ready, Ben? Here we go. <gasps> But you're bringing me down in New York City. trouble yeah. you're in trouble timothy i got one two three four five six i got 11 that i feel pretty good about ben, on first pass ben how many do you have Jeff, you're so much better at this than i am it's amazing i love it oh dang it uh all right. no, it's not a competition Tim. you're right you love each other you're right this is all wonderful i'm happy you guys are escaping the dungeon uh, number one, Jeff Simons. That's The Boy from New York City by Manhattan Transfer. Excellent. Number two, Ben Barton. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I was looking at something. <laughs> oh, no. Number two is The Grateful Dead. All Trucking. right. Number three, Jeff Simons. I don't have it. I don't have number three. Ben? No idea. BJ Thomas. 
eyes of a New York City woman. Or good lord, is that the guy who did Beach um, BJ the BJ and the Bear theme song? Is that no, BJ Thomas? BJ Thomas, come on. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, no idea. Number four. John Lennon. Nobody told me. Excellent. Uh, ben, what's uh, number five? LCD sound system. Excellent. Number six, Jeff. Elton John, Mona Lisa's, and Mad Hatters. Excellent. Uh, number seven, Ben Martin. I think that's a Public Enemy song. It, it is. I think so, too. Uh, letter to the New York Post. Uh, number eight, Jeff Simons. No idea. I'm going to guess um, Evanescence or, or uh, one of those 90s. Ben, uh, any ideas? Wait, I got an act. Jeff, what's the name of the band that did Cannonball? Oh, The Breeders? Is it the Breeders? It is the Cranberries. Oh, uh, we were in the neighborhood. Um, number nine, Jeff Simons? That's Ace Freely from Kiss, New York Groove from the solo Ace Freely record. That is correct. That, is, that was so unbelievable, Jeff. <laughs> Written by Russ Ballard, by the way. The wow. Kiss wrote New York Groove. So. Uh, number 10, Ben Barton. Yes. No. Yes, That's indeed. Better New York State of Mind. Um, Jeff yeah. Simons, I'm so upset you know number 11 because there's, there's they're the most popular band in the land. And when it comes to kids who like rock music, that's the chain smokers, I believe, it. right? Yeah, it's the chain smokers. Uh, number 12, Ben Barton, Jonas Brothers. No, Jeff, nothing, no, I, nothing. It's a band called Old Dominion. I okay, well, that right there, Jimmy. <laughs> I that really was that that I was so we didn't go 15 for 15. I think they're actually crazy. a very popular country man. Uh okay. Number 13, Jeff Simons. Mr. Michael McDonald, ladies and gentlemen, with New York Minute. No? No. Is it Don Henley? He's it is it's, Don Henley. Okay. Okay. I have there. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> it's the song. You said it's the song or the artist. The song is a New York Minute. And that yeah. is definitely Michael definitely McDonald's singing in background. That. It's definitely the artist. Uh, number 14, Ben Barton. All right. So this is a stab in the dark. I think that's Bell and Sebastian. It is Bell and Sebastian. You are the greatest. Excellent. And number 15, Jeff Simons. Is the Climax Blues Bands Couldn't Get It Right is what oh, that number 15 is. Awesome. You got 12 out of 15. Congratulations. Yes, did i wow. love this game i would play this game all day this oh, is my favorite seriously to me like <laughs> you don't want to know how happy you're making both of us for sure. uh, <laughs> i mean i told you the story of the radio game this is basically just the radio game but about an actual city it's fantastic yeah yeah um hey uh old dominion's number one song on spotify is called one man band and yeah. it has 291 million listens so that's a pretty big song old that's dominion. that's that's a couple hundred million more than any of mine. <laughs> I have a song that's that's so close to having a thousand listens that I've actually been checking. I have a song at 993 listens. Tell uh, us, dude. I'll listen to it tonight. Yeah, tell us yeah. right now. It's Bre Breathe It Out Again. Is the, Breathe uh, It Out Again, ladies and gentlemen. That's the biggest hit. That's the number one most listened. That's listen the biggest hit. It's the number one most listened to track right. on the road. All right. As we go to our first advertisement, everybody go ahead and pause the podcast and go listen to Breathe it in, breathe it out again by Jeff. Breathe Simon. it in and out again, you know, whatever it's called. <laughs> that, that whole breathing thing that Jeff's doing. It's like a <laughs> mantra song. I don't know. Uh, all right. So, gentlemen, Electrocast, the corporate overlords, have reached out to us. They need a teaser trailer to put on their other podcasts. So this needs to be a 30-second spot. So I thought... 
rather than writing out some sort of script, you know, the charm of our podcast is the the organic uh, interplay between our three <laughs> personalities. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to do the lead in. You're going to play five seconds of one of those three songs I sent you, Jeff. Oh my God. You know how hard that is? I love you. Like just cue up three songs and play five seconds. Cue up back three to back. songs. You're going to play five seconds and then pause and we'll see how the interplay goes afterwards. All right. <clears throat> We're going to, we got three takes at this. Um, Jeff, are you ready? See. Ready with the song? Yes. All right. It's 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Okay, Ben, thoughts? Jimmy, you're the worst, man. You owe me another apology. I'm not even going to argue about it. Listen, okay, good take. That's it. Comes from our preparation. Jeff Simon. Stupid piano jazz for me and make me get my thoughts in 30 seconds? No, thank you. That's the sound of a colonoscopy, <laughs> is what that is. Like, that's the, that's the music playing in my head as I'm going under. Okay. That's how I feel I, about that. It. Like I walk into a restaurant, I hear that, and then you hear his door slam, and that's the end of that song. I'm grand like, opening, grand closing. <laughs> we'll try song number two. Ready? It's 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. tune that it's so on the nose as to be off the nose like it is just so unashamedly silly as to be all the way back around to silly again not a fan is that what you're saying I, no it's, i mean i'm not not a fan but it's just so it's so silly that it's silly it's not like winking silly or like you know surreptitiously silly it's just silly okay all right let's try the third song on our possible trailer teaser, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. One, two, three, four. Right, I actually did not know this was a New York City song. Is that my bad? Should I have known that? Yes, it's a fantastic beach. I've been to Rockaway Beach. I've had drinking parties in high school in Rockaway Beach. And you want to hear something that I'm very sad to report? Uh-huh. They played this song at my local Kroger. Um, I know. That's, that's the I thing. Like, I was like at the yogurt area, and I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like do I want the full-fat Greek yogurt? Or, or, or do I want to go at the two percent? And then, the, and then I was like, "Hey, what's that sound I'm hearing?" And I looked up, and I was like, "Oh, good lord!" Oh, I know, right? All of us. That was the sound of the world coming apart at the seams, and now it's music to buy groceries too. Yeah, and probably. I still love it. I still love it. So, which kind of yogurt did you get? Oh yeah, full fat Greek. That's <laughs> okay, amazing. good. All right, good. Thanks. Thanks All for right. asking. Let's move on to New York City's favorite. Jeez, I I, I can't imagine which one of those three went best. <laughs> uh, yeah, the first one. 
Favorite son and daughter <laughs> song. So what I've done is I, I went and I looked up New York's most successful musician. It's a it's a murderer's row. Um, absolutely unbelievable. But the winner is young Billy Joel. He has the seventh most record sales of all time out of all artists. So he's the first from New York City. But then you've got um, Mariah Carey. What's his most played Spotify song? Oh, we're about to play it. And then you've he's got also Mariah. from Long Island. He's not from New York. Believe me, if you're from New York, you know that he's from Long Island. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, for yes. someone from Boston, eh, isn't it all kind of the same thing? Yeah, no, extra not. <laughs> <laughs> Call these people Bridge and Tunnel for a reason. <laughs> Whoa, Bridge and Tunnel? Yeah. So, so he's out there on the Downeaster Alexa while you guys are in the city. Totally. Uh, but anyway, just play the, what's the most played song? I can't wait to hear it. Uh, it is Piano Man by Billy oh. Joel. I mean, it's so rough. <laughs> I love that this twitch starts just like New York State of Mind starts with unnecessary jazz. Saturday. I'm not even gonna pretend to fade yeah. that one out artfully. But did our did all of our children like discover this song and think it's the greatest song ever? No, girls do like Billy Joel, but that's honestly that's not the one that upsets me the most. It's freaking Uptown Girl. Uptown Girl. Like, oh, do you know this song? And I'm like, oh, don't even listen. <laughs> just, just step back. Just go away. So, I'll oh, go ahead. Go ahead. As, as no, 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 no. I want to know if Will like heard the song and was like, "Eh, that's not for me." No, he's he's never he's never been a Billy Joel guy. I want to know um, who Will listens to. What's uh, what? like? I think it's in McSweeney's. There's a hilarious article from yeah. the point of view of the other people in this <laughs> song. Where oh the guys like, "Yes, listen, hey, just man, there's no real estate. That doesn't mean I'm a loser. Like, <laughs> you have to immortalize me in this song as a loser. What are you thinking about?" And the guy, Davey, who's in the Navy, he's like, listen, I'm a war hero, brother. I know, it's great. <laughs> I know, I love that. That's the problem with Billy Joel is, like, I loved Billy Joel when I was 12. Right. I did. Like, I was, I piano was my first instrument. I learned, I basically learned how to play rock piano by learning Billy Joel records. I learned the whole first record. I used to be able to play this, and this one, and Ballad of Billy the Kid, and Captain Jack. And everything off Nylon Curtain. I knew how to play all the songs on Glass Houses. I saw Billy Joel when I was 13 years old in concert. And it was two and a half hours long. And I knew every song. And yeah. then it just kind of stopped. And I I like to think it's because I became a more thoughtful person than the <laughs> inhabitants of Billy Joel's music. His songs are... Like they're first of all, they're deeply misogynist. This is a deeply misogynist catalog. Billy Joel writes a lot of songs about hating women. I don't know if Billy Joel hates women, but but he writes the kinds of songs that guys write when they're really pissed off and they've had one too many beers. Which you know, when when you get to the point where you're like, oh, I actually could turn into that shithead, you try not to, and then that music yeah. stops resonating for in the same. When you're 12 years old and there's a song about 
you know, some coked up woman who's a slag, you're like, oh, I guess there are women like that. But then when you're 22 years old, you're like, eesh, that is a bad yep. look for that yep. guy to be like that butt hurt that you won't talk to him. So I, I, my whole interaction with this catalog shifted profoundly and it went from one where like I knew his songs as well as I knew any artists, including the Who and the Beatles to like, I never intentionally listened to Billy Joel. And I can't think of an artist for whom yeah. I went from all in to all out more profoundly than this guy. Huh. I still ride for The Stranger. I love The Stranger. And on top of The Stranger, there's another five, maybe 10 Billy Joel songs that I really like. Um, but yeah, no, this one's a tough one for sure. Yeah. It's uh, not the worst. I mean, like, seriously, like, no. So this, oh, dude. At, uh, um, it, and I won't say who this person is, but at Nina's Tri Mitzvah, they played. We didn't start the fire by Billy Joel. And no. He said, "Have you ever really listened to the lyrics to this?" Oh song? my goodness gracious! Because it really covers a lot of ground. And I was like, "I need to not talk to you from <laughs> now on. We're done here." Trouble in the Suez. God bless you no, too. No, that is the line. JFK blown away. What more do I have to say? I'm like, really, you could say more. I feel yeah, like okay. you kind of over that. I feel like a few a few historians have done that. I also love. Do you remember that the the last historical thing that belongs in that song is rock and roller cola wars yeah. i can't take it anymore that would, <laughs> that's actually the best part is when he equates all of those moments of of uh historical tragedy to rock and roll guys selling pepsi <laughs> all whatever right. I, I don't mean i whatever billy joel fine and now i cut he's moved all the way to sympathetic character to me like there was a moment when I really hated Billy Joel and now I'm just kind of like indifferent to Billy Joel. I imagine him alone on his helipad waiting for his monthly concert at Madison Square Garden, kind of staring out at the Long Island sound. And yeah. he reminds me of the Steve Carell character in the morning show, just kind of like puttering around a big mansion, calling people up and they're all like, geez, can't make it, Bill. I'm sorry. Oh, I, yeah. He's become kind of a sympathetic character to me. Yeah, that that Hor Horatio Sands character on Saturday Night Live where... <laughs> <laughs> Joel's just driving around Long Island picking up teenagers. Uh, all right, so Ben Barton, you are my population uh, guru over here. I'm not going to go with the metro area. I'm just going with the population of the five boroughs. Good, and I did not cheat. This is off the top of my head. All right, eight point two million. Wow, eight point three eight. That is incredible. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff. I should have said higher or lower. I was just, I was so impressed. <laughs> No, no, he wins. Um, all great. right, Jeff Simon, you tell me the date of New York's founding when the colony started and Ben Barton gets to go higher or lower. What do you got? What's your date? You mean, well, okay, when Dutch settlers arrive or That's when it correct. becomes an actual Dutch settler? That's really early. That's New Amsterdam, by the way. Yeah, right. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember if it's post or pre-Plymouth. I'm going to say 1636. It's later that, than that. It is 1624. Excellent. Ooh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff Damn. Uh, the English take it over in 1664. Not a shot was fired. All the by the way, tough get for the Dutch. Tough yeah. Yeah. For the Dutch. And by the way, <laughs> not a shot gets fired. Like no. the French get buried for being cowards. How about the Dutch? You're like, you know what? Just, just go ahead and take Manhattan. What could well, go wrong? You know, well, that, that's I, nothing much to see there. 
I think they were like, wow. yeah, we're, we don't really want to fight over a flag. We got a good gig going here. You, you can fly whatever flag you want. We'll keep the Dutch East Indies and you get Manhattan. That'll be yeah. great. For us. Uh, all right. We're going to go uh, with a little game called Know Your Burrows. Know Your Burrows. Ooh, I'm going to lose this game. Jeff Simons, which of the five burrows has the greatest population? Look at Ben. Ben's like, I know the answer to that. Uh, I'm going to say the Bronx. Ben? That's a terrible guess. That's an <laughs> awful guess. Brooklyn is the answer. Brooklyn would be the fifth biggest city in America by itself. Yeah, that I thought it was too great. obvious. I was. I thought it was, I overthought all right, it. All right, that's all right. Um, ben Barton, which borough has the highest population density? Ooh, I'm pretty sure that's Manhattan. It is indeed 74,000 per square mile. Uh, Jeff Simons, going back to you, which borough has the most land? What's the largest borough? Yes, in terms of land. Uh, I don't know. I'm that assuming it's... Right uh, I'll go Staten Island. Ben? I think it's Brooklyn also. It's Queens. Queens. Yeah. Very nice. 108. I knew it was one of the ones on Long Island, so that's good. Uh, ben Barton, you get the last one. Uh, which borough has the greatest gross domestic product? Oh, see, that's weird how you calculate it, but it, it means it's Manhattan. It's got to be it Manhattan. It is indeed Manhattan. Uh, see, he got all sneaky and had Manhattan as the answer to two questions. <laughs> uh, all right, Ben, this one's for you. Which borough has the best pizza, and what is the name of that pizza place? So I can't eat wheat, but it's, I, I mean, I think that the answer <laughs> to this is, is Brooklyn. Um, do you have a place in Brooklyn? It's like it's called like law something. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I like I like if believe me, if I was in if I could eat weed, I would know the answer to this. I just can't. So eat this it. is actually I, one of the few things about New York I know a little bit about because I love pizza more than anything okay. in the world, except maybe you two guys and, and family members. Um, my favorite slice that I've had lately is John's in the village, which right. I just love right okay. off right off the basketball courts where they play pickup by NYU. It's um, super, super good. Super good pizza. Yeah, I've got a Roberta's in Brooklyn, Ben. I don't know if you ever heard of Roberta's. Oh, all right. I like it. Um, and then Joe and Pat's in Staten Island. But like, how often have you gone to Staten Island, Ben? Oh, so um, just going up to New York, I've driven across Staten Island a thousand times. Okay. I've been to Staten Island. If you, ben, you mean like gotten out of my car? Or <laughs> yes, that's what I meant. Yes. <laughs> I don't know, under five times. Not very many. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and then before we get to our three albums, songs, venues, et cetera, et cetera, I wanted to bring in tripadvisor.com, what to do in New York City. Uh, Jeff Simons, number one, it's the National 9-11 Memorial and Museum. Have you gone? I haven't. Ben? Dude, not only have I gone, my brother helped design it. Wow. I was going to say, that's a layup. That's a layup question that's, for this podcast. That's one of his biggest gigs that he's ever gotten. And it's fantastic. You'll cry yourself sick. It's so powerful. I mean, the physical space is beautiful. And then the museum is, is really off the hook good. My brother's uh, like, is a very big on having museums be storytelling and right. first generation, like people telling, telling what happened. And so you walk in and there's a cacophony of voices explaining their wow. experience of 9-11 it'll crush you it's amazing okay all right so 
TripAdvisor knows what they're doing. Uh, Jeff Simons, the second thing is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Yes, uh, I have been to the I have been to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Overrated or or properly rated? Uh, I love it. It blows <laughs> me away every time I go. Are you kidding? It's one of those places where you walk into a room and you're like, oh, I know that one. And I know that one. And oh, and that's an actual painting in three dimensions and not just in a book. Like, I just feel right. like that's there's a wow factor to that to that right. museum. Uh, Dude, ben, and, uh, Georgia oh, is a big uh, people. Longtime listeners will know Georgia is a big um, Greek mythology fan. OK. And so we had gone to the Museum of Modern Art multiple times, but I brought her to the Met and we went just to the Greek sculpture area. Uh-huh. That's amazing. It's was like, yeah. she, was like, she was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest museum I've ever seen. Yeah. And I was like, this is literally like the 17th best thing at this museum. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. The American artwork is spectacular. Um, and right, the setting. Uh, I mean, the setting. It's yeah, a, it really is. Right on the park. It's Central so beautiful. Park is the third uh, biggest um, uh, place to visit. Uh, Empire State Building is fourth. Statue of Liberty is fifth. Thumbs up on all of them, Ben. Uh, so I would have A M M H and the American Museum of Natural History above both of those. Okay. I mean, I've been to all of these things, but A M and H is like is really off the hook. Like for a science museum, it's just the and it's got the planetarium right next to it. It's that's my favorite. And I would recommend the New York Historical Society, which has yes. uh, Thomas Cole's Course of Empire that you could go check out. Uh, oh, so good! So much to do in New York City. Let's go! Oh. By the way, before we get to our three albums, uh, we haven't talked about it publicly. I tweeted something out, but we got to 100,000 listens. Yay! Hey! Amazing, Timmy. Unbelievable. Oh, only 8.2 million more to go until we match the population of the New York City area. Let's go. Wait, is that? Anyway, that right? our three songs, albums, venues, places, things. <laughs> Uh, Jeff, you get to go first this week. Um, I was trying to think about this. This is a this isn't a, a fancy daunting. pick. Daunting. It's impossible, really. Um, but I was trying to think of what's the first New York song where I was like, oh, that's telling a story that's unfamiliar to me and makes the city seem like a character in and of itself. Um, so I'm, you know, still I'm a suburban kid who very much did not want to be a suburban kid. And so I was constantly searching for art that would connect me to something bigger than my little town. And uh, so I paid a lot of attention to the lists of, of records that are important and informative. And um, I would say that one of the very first songs, and I probably heard this when I was 14 years old. Um, so I'd obviously listened to a lot of music and had, hard opinions but i was trying to think of, of the song where i'm like okay this is a place i need to go see and when i go see it i have to be prepared for it to want something from me not just me going to acquire something for me from it and so my choice is i'm waiting for the man from the first film yes film. Dollars the 
just so much in there like the the drug addiction the relationships to different places the race component um and that the those are lou reed's best lyrics as far as i'm concerned the next verse like he's never early he's always late the first thing you learn is you always have to wait i mean and it i guess it glorifies heroin use in some way because the song is so cool but it also i think reveals the depravity of it as well um, in ways that Sick I and dirty, more dead, dead than, alive. than alive. Right. Um, but, but in a, in a very strange way, like when I was a little kid, New York was, was a dangerous play. I mean, I remember the first time I went to New York by myself and it was the eighties and I had friends who were like, you know, you can't go to New York, but I used to um, get up as soon as I had a driver's license, I would drive, get up really early in the morning on a Saturday and drive to tower records in the village and spend like three hours shopping and then drive home. <laughs> I don't think my parents know how many times I did that. I was just like, I'm going out <laughs> eight hours round trip to go to a cool record store. But, um, but people would be like, you can't just go to New York. But I felt like I didn't go to New York with that kind of bumpkinish, like, Oh, I'm going to walk around and it'll be just like walking around Annapolis. I, and I, I credit uh, listening to this record for preparing me to, to, you know, just to be ready for something that I might not otherwise be ready for. I'm, I'm sorry. I think you glossed over that. You would leave your home in Annapolis, drive to New yeah. York City just to go to Tower Records. Yeah. And not tell your parents you're driving from Annapolis to New York I City. I think I told them a couple of times, but how, I didn't tell how them. How far drive is it? It's four hours. It's four hours exactly. If you get lucky and there's no traffic on the turnpike. So you'd leave like eight in the morning. I'd leave at six in the morning. Because then you get there when it opens at 10, you can spend like three hours and then you can like get something to eat and then you're home by dinner. Wow. And I'd have a bag full. You don't understand. I'd have a bag full of records that weren't even for sale in the state of Maryland. Like this is not I wasn't going to Tower Records because they had a big selection. It was the only place you could get the records that I wanted to. I had a little list in my wallet of like 50 records i wanted to hear that i'd gotten from top 100 lists and old rolling stones and the big takeover shout out to jack rabbit and you couldn't get them unless you went to new york city to tower records and bought them That's so nice. i would save up i you know i'd save up my uh my my uh stupid job money and then uh go spend it all entirely on and, and gas of course gas was a nickel so it wasn't as uh, daunting <laughs> to get up there <laughs> Uh, are you a fan of Lou Reed, Ben Barton? I'm mixed on Lou Reed, but this song is fantastic. I absolutely love this. You know who loves this song is Georgia Polk and Cannon Barton. She just is absolutely over the moon with this one. Um, the sick and dirty, more dead than alive. Like, I haven't been a heroin addict, but I, I really, really, really like that description of it. 
Um, I have been a teenager who bought drugs from people of color in New York. And so like this entire experience of how terrifying it is and how thrilling it is really speaks to me. Um, and in particular, the hey, white boy, what are you doing here? Like, dude, um, yeah. I got the hey, white boy treatment multiple times over uh -huh. when I was a teenager in New York, for sure. Um, so yeah, I love that one. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you follow that question up with, hi, I'm Benji. Yeah, totally. <laughs> So I declined, I declined to choose one song. Oh. Jeff chose three songs for Australia. So I'm afraid I have like 13 songs. I'm That's fantastic. I'm ready. I'm ready to go, Ben. Just queue them up. No, one I'm going to let Jeff we... choose one of them when I'm done talking. Okay. All right. So the first thing I did is I just went through the decades and I took a lot of liberties. All right. So the, just starting right out of the gate, the 1940s, I did take the A train actually written in 38 popularized in the 40s and for me like uh, my brother lives in harlem i've taken the a train multiple times yeah. it's not a single time i don't get on that train where i'm like da, 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 da. like every <laughs> single time i freaking love that one and then the 50s is an even bigger uh jump this is a 1979 number new york new york that's a 50s song that captures New York and the flavor of the Sinatra version of New York for sure. Always love that. The 60s, Jeff, what's the 60s one? I don't know, man. You're Positive on fire, though. 4th Street. Positive 4th oh, Street. Hatch, brilliant. Greenwich Village in the 60s so perfectly. Like Dylan just being like, all I did was meet douchebags. That's it. <laughs> I, the only people I met in New York were douchebags. He, like, and by the way, I, I'm from New York. Accurate, accurate. That's yeah. what ah! you're so, so Jeff, good. don't don't play that one because that's going to be mine. So okay, we're on the same page. Seventies. Uh, this one I love. Um, Shattered by the Stones. Ah. Here's something that's super notable about New York. Um, there's multiple people who could live anywhere in the world. Like, I mean, obviously Mick Jagger and Keith Richards had all the money in the world. They could have lived anywhere. And they chose to live in New York, and Shattered explains why. Like just like the like the act like the the uh, the the buzz, the buzz of New York, the creative energy for it for sure. The '80s rappers delight. That's the, in my opinion, the the beginning of rap music. I mean, it's super humorous. Those it was recorded in New Jersey. Half two thirds of the guys are from New Jersey, but that's perfect for New York too. Um, like even people from New Jersey are rapping about how awesome it is to live in New York. Um, the 90s, I've got Flava in your ear. That's yeah. the uh, original collection. That's a New York comeback record for the New York hip hop scene. Um, the 2000s, I had Empire State of Mind, but I had, I had a B one because I was worried. And then that was New York, I love you. New York, I love you, but you're driving me, making me sad. Um, in the 2010, I had Welcome to New York. And Welcome to New York is perfect because there's so many great songs from people who are not from New York about how yes. awesome New York is. And she really captures it beautifully. And then while I was here, I went ahead and did five borough songs. Ah, let's go. Oh, my right, God. So Manhattan. By the way, how did you not have Living for the City by Stevie Wonder with that? New York, oh, skyscrapers, and everything. everything. That was my backup. He's from there, right? Where's no, he's not. He's from uh, Detroit. That's what I thought. Yeah, I actually thought that song was about Detroit. It's about New York. But New York, that's what he says in the in the um in that in little intro. breakdown. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, so uh, Manhattan, I've got the Strokes Reptilia. 
Tell us a story. I know you're not boring. So perfect. Like that just captures Manhattan. They're like, surely you have something interesting to tell me. And if you don't, then I'm going to move on to someone much more important than you. Like, (laughs) and uh, like rich white kids who went to private school in Manhattan. Just perfect. Perfect. For the Bronx, Boogie Down Production, South Bronx. That was a relatively easy one. Like that just describes the South Bronx so perfectly. Brooklyn, I really, really struggled over. And I know it's bad. I know I should choose a Jay-Z song. I can't help but choose No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Um, that's the actual like anthem for white kids my age from Brooklyn. Perfect. Um, when we did the preview for this, I said I wasn't going to talk Staten Island. You know who's from Staten Island? Wu-Tang. Yeah. Yeah. Wu-Tang Clan is from Staten Island. So I've got Protect Your Neck for Staten Island. And then for Queens... It's really hard to choose one Run DMC song. The obvious Queens one is Christmas and Hollis, which is just yeah. <laughs> unbelievably hilarious. And the, the references to Queens are perfect. But actually, my favorite Queens one is Peter Piper by them. That, I think, sort of captures it. And then the last category, and Welcome to New York actually fits this also. This is the people not from New York loving on New York. Yeah. I have Ryan Adams, I Still Love You, New York. And those are all the songs I have I for you. Got about that one. Oh my gosh. And, um, those are great. A- Angel of Harlem by U2. I hate that song. I hate that song. I hate that song. John Coltrane, Love Supreme. It's like that song needed an edit <laughs> so desperately. Um, uh, and I, I, not to slag on you too, but uh, I don't like that one. All right. Um, I'm going to, I think, Ben, we just have to, I want to celebrate the young man that uh, realized that the door to his subway car was unlocked and took over the mic and said, <laughs> stop everybody off. Cause only a kid empowered by this song would have had the gumption to do that. No sleep till. <laughs> That's great. Um, I also want to throw in a tag for the taxi theme song, which when you're when you don't grow up in New York and you're like watching New York from television Uh like that, that kind of smoothie, weird, like 2 a.m. jazz track by Bob James like that. That really felt like New York to me from a distance. Don't we know the person whose father yeah, that, wrote? That was yeah, Michael Jorgensen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, I know somebody. Um, and then we didn't talk about uh, Welcome Back, Cotter, which is the greatest television theme song ever. Correct? Yeah, I thought about that. Is it the greatest ever? It's up there, though. That's, that's, that's such a lovable theme song. 
So great. So ben great. is silent. You're not a Welcome Back Cotter fan? I'm a Welcome Back Cotter fan, I promise. Okay. Um, all right, well, let's go to my pick. It is indeed positively 4th Street. Uh, I want to pick it up, Jeff Simons, if you will, at minute three. So, Okay, hold on. Sorry. Sorry, everybody. No, you're right. He's, uh, he's bringing it home at this point, his, his diatribe against this unnamed person. And uh, let's hear Dylan bring it home. While I'm queuing that up, I want to tell you that I got an amazing tour of Greenwich Village from Steve Van Zandt's wife, Maureen. And uh, she took us to all these places that she had been with Jimi Hendrix. She took us to the original Cafe Watts, to the Electric Factory. And Timmy would have loved it. She took us to Dylan's, the apartment where Dylan wrote all these things. And when you stand on his stoop and look, you are looking right at the 4th Street street sign. That, that's one of the reasons I picked this is because you took me on that very tour, Jeff. Did I really? Yes, I see. I, when did I do that? <laughs> Are you sure that was me? Because I it was, just it was like a week after she took you on that tour, and then oh I my went, god, that's right. <laughs> it was this meaningful yeah. moment for me. That's and you're right. like, oh, I'm yeah. so glad I was able to give that to you. Well, here, here, I'll make up for it by playing <laughs> playing the song in three minutes. Here we go, coming up. It's not my Just for that one moment, I could be you. Yes, I wish that for just one time, you could stand inside my shoes. You'd know what a drag it is to see you. I love the setup for that final insult. Like it takes, him, Amazing. takes him One so long and he's perfectly happy to be patient with that final blow. And then he just kills it. I was so just trying to inhabit that to... character for you, Tim, by forgetting that I had taken <laughs> you right. there. That's me. That was you about me just now. Like that <laughs> fucking guy and his worthless memory. <laughs> the first time you listen to it when he's like, I just wish for one time minute i could be you and you could be me and you're like yeah. where the fuck is this going he's been yeah yeah this dude why would he wish that but then he said you can see what a dragon is to see you <laughs> so good so good so great it really and then is. just and i but, timmy you're a nicer person than i am but you at least you can think of a half dozen people who you're like i would do that like i really wish that you could see how i see you but and, that would really make me happy oh uh, yeah can I just say in advance, I, I am not strong enough to have either of you do that with me. So let's just leave oh, that okay. to the side. Oh. Yeah, if you switch places yeah. with us, we'd be, you'd be thrilled. We love yeah. seeing you. Yeah. It's a little glowing aura. Bouncing up and down. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you should listen to this one. So Jeff Simons, that's Al Cooper on keyboards. Is he better on yeah. this record than he was on? Yeah, well, you know, like yeah, that's just such a fantastic story because he was at he was a pretty good guitar player and he willed himself into becoming a keyboard player because opportunity knocked i find the whole al cooper story just so inspiring and and a reminder to to take advantage when people offer you an opportunity like lean in and see what happens i feel that way about this freaking podcast like 
Yeah. What is this? Episode 108, 9, 10? I mean, we're just I, I got no you clue. called and I, I said, yeah. <laughs> and here I am like three years later. It's a huge part of my whole thing. You know, it's, it's you know, and I, I like to think we've gotten better, too. <laughs> so we've got um, Al Cooper's still alive. He's living in the Boston area. And uh, I'm working on a screenplay right now uh, about a guy who who starts dating this young woman. Uh, and it turns out it's Al Cooper's daughter. Like, what would that be like? <laughs> and Al Cooper's like, yeah, come on. Let me show you some of my records that I've got. That'd here. be great. You should ask him to play himself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. Oh, all right. I got to get I got to get writing. I got to finish this thing. All right. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, New York City. We couldn't do it entirely. Uh, uh, we couldn't do injustice to the entire city. But I hope we gave you a flavor of what it was like here. Um, guess where we're going next? Uh, Dallas, Timmy. Iowa. Well, we started the podcast talking about a tour up in Canada. We're going to meet that tour in Toronto. Let's go. Okay. Outstanding. Nate, do you know any bands from Toronto? Sure. Okay. There's one oh, enormous I'm just doing YYZ by Rush. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. make Jeff play it on loop. That's it. It's just <laughs> gonna be YYZ. I'm not even gonna speak. Like when you're like, hey Ben, what's the population? I'm gonna say Jeff. And he's gonna play YYZ. So I've I've got a question for you. Martha texted this to me. She's like, My friend's dad is about your age, and he says his favorite band is from Canada. What's the name of the band? And so I'm like, uh, I did not say Rush. Do you guys have a guess? It's the band. It's not the band. Oh, geez. Is it Bare Naked Ladies? Aren't they from Toronto? Please don't be Bare Naked Ladies. It's not. It is the Tragically Hip. Oh. Oh. (laughs) That's very, I don't know, Bare Naked Ladies. That's a close one. Which which is more despicable? (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't know what else to text back. There's a couple of bands I like from from Toronto. This. Oh, dude, I'm going to go Drake. It's all Drake. Get ready. I'm coming from the six to y'all. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> we haven't waiting. talked. We haven't talked about Drake enough. Oh, I'm, no, definitely... dude, listen, I'm going to bring all the Drake. All right. Do you know that? Do you remember that? You remember Dream Warriors? Dream Warriors are from Toronto too. I'm definitely bringing in my definition of a boombastic jazz style, <laughs> which is a great lost hip hop track from 1990. I'm psyched we, about that. We also have a so we, we've got our artists and residents coming up, Jack Rabbit. But it, over the next week, we got to figure out someone from Toronto who we can oh, get Drake. on our podcast. Oh, sure. Just get in touch with Drake. He'll uh, be- uh, I will. I'll have my people reach out to his people. All right. Gentlemen, great time. The funniest I, thing, by the way, sorry. sorry. The funniest yeah. thing is that this group of people, I was like, I'm going to do YYZ. And they're like, that'd be annoying. And I'm like, I'm going to do Drake. They're like, no, 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 that's unacceptable. Like, <laughs> Drake is worse to you than YYZ by Rush. Not good. It's not good. Dude, you know how I feel about Drake. I don't know. I can't even, I can't even ramp up the same vitriol I had the last time you foisted Drake on me. Just hold on. We're coming home. Drake. That's going to be great. I can't wait. All right. Stay tuned for Jack Rabbit. See you guys. Welcome to uh, back to 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. And our New York guest couldn't be more exciting to me. Um, Jack Rabbit has been running the Big Takeover magazine since 1980. He is also now hosting the Big Takeover show, which you can support on Patreon, which I just did. Jack, I just subscribed and got caught up. 
Um, and I have to, I have to thank you for Los Bravos going nowhere on uh, episode 402. I have been blasting the hell out of that track for the last uh, four or five days. It's fantastic. Wow. Um, I'm also, um, I'm a subscriber. I'm actually a two-time subscriber of the Big Takeover. I subscribed and then it lapsed, and I'm subscribing again. But I've read, I mean, I've read at least sixty of uh, of the Big Takeovers. Um, and as a suburban kid. Growing up in Annapolis, Maryland, um, Jack's Magazine was uh, just central to not just helping me figure out my own tastes, but just knowing that there are other people out there who um, had the same passion for music that I did. Tim, I'm going to read a, a quotation uh, from Jack, and you tell okay. me if that doesn't sound like me. I'm a genuine fanatic. There's probably a good three or four or five in every city. I just love the music. That's all it is. I love the music. I try to find every record that was ever made. I like making tapes for people to expose them for what they missed. Yep. Yeah. Jack. That's um, so. I was going to ask if you have the other half of this amulet, but um, I'm I'm pretty sure you do. So, <laughs> Jack, welcome to the show. Thanks for talking to us about New York. Um, this is our third season. The first season we did our favorite song from every year we were alive. In the second season, we did our favorite album from every year we were alive. And now we're doing a travelogue. We're doing 50 places for uh, for rock music. So we have four questions for you about New York, which is not enough. We really need, um, we yes, would need three 70. or four hours to cover your expertise, but um, we're going to, we don't want to overimpose. But we're going to start with, um, these are the four questions we've asked everybody, but feel free to, to go rogue. Of all the places you've seen music, of all of the the New York clubs, which one had your overall favorite scene? What's your favorite place when you think about music in New York? Rest in peace, Max's Kansas City. Yeah, I just I, I contributed. I guess it was about a six or seven page chapter to a book recently called "Where the Wild Gigs Were," I guess, or "Where the Wild Gigs Are." Mm -hmm. And they asked me to write about any club I liked. And that was one I chose because I, I considered that my high school more than the high school I attended. And then I graduated high school and I had another year and three months to keep going there before it closed. Wow. So it was kind of my early college experience as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that was so let's see what what years would that have been like 78, 79 or. For me, it was 78 to 81. It closed okay. in, I think, November or December of 81 is when it closed. So I got in under the wire. It had been going since the late 60s. Obviously, the Velvet Underground, we were well aware. I had recorded a live album there, I guess, in 1970 or so. Uh, and, you know, Bowie and Warhol and Iggy and all those people used to hang out there on the first floor under underneath where the bands played quite a lot before we ever got there. Wow. So it was already a legendary club. Uh, I also was very aware that that's the club where Iggy Pop had ripped up his chest with a broken beer bottle in the middle of a Stooges gig. Oh. I guess 73, 72, somewhere in there when I was still in elementary school. Wow. So uh, we, knew, we knew it was hallowed ground, really. I mean, that yeah. added you know, je ne sais quoi to go in there. But also, it was just a really great club. I mean, yeah. you walked in there and it was just electric. So as yeah, a, the old. Uh, oh, sorry, Tim. Go ahead. I would just as a as a, a young man going in there, knowing it had been sanctified with Iggy's blood, <laughs> held sway. Jeepers. Oh yeah, when I when I was up there on the stage playing, yeah, I'd sit there on the drum riser, the little drum riser, and I'd look down and go, oh, "I think it was over there." <laughs> <It> was over. 
Was that what was that what even worse? Was that with even worse that you played Max's or was that a different? Yeah, there was, we never, I never played there with anyone else because we didn't form until May of 1980. And it wasn't until our second incarnation in the spring of 81 that we played there. So it was only six months that we had that window. Gotcha. But that was my, my goal in life. My entire yeah. life's goal is that I would one day play a gig there. That is and terrific. When I came up with that goal, it was the impossible dream. There was just no likelihood of any kind because I wasn't in a band. You know, I was playing along with Strangler's records in my uh, basement or right. up in my bedroom. You know, it's blasting the record player as loud as I could just so I could hear. hear yeah. I was playing along to it. I, I, you know, I, I had some friends, but none of them really were musicians that had any connections to any New York bands. We were just playing Sex Pistols and Patti Smith and Jimi Hendrix and and Chuck Berry covers down in my friend's basement. But it all just happened very fast. And the next thing I knew, I, a year later, I was sitting wow. on stage just completely uh, blindsided in a way. <laughs> what well, am I got... doing here? Yeah, right. <laughs> when is security going to come in and remove me? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> Iggy Pop himself will walk in and yeah, be like, wait, yeah, right. just shake his finger and like, no, no, no. Yeah, with scars all over his you yeah. know, <laughs> I'm so, sorry, sir, you're a usurper. You need to yeah. leave immediately. I was, I was also 19 at the time, so right. you know, there's nothing quite like a thrill of a three-year goal that you never thought would be met at age 19 <laughs> my well, wife always kids me like well what have you done since you already met your ouch, last goal 30 oh. years ago <laughs> i tell right. gravy after that yeah, yeah, right. I, see the, yeah. I see it the other way like it's a yeah. long time to spend at the top of the mountain it sounds pretty good yeah <laughs> i just wish i could go back there Th thinking about all the clubs in New York City and, you know, getting ready for this podcast, we went through like a, a whole list. It's it's overwhelming, the number of music venues in New York City. Um, yeah, the ones I missed, like Organo's or something like that. Right. <laughs> Sounds like it was a great place. <laughs> and the, Mer the Mercer Arts Center, same thing. You know, the people who are older than me talk about that place the way I talk about Max's. Right. Or, or right. hurrah, or uh, tier three, or some of the other ones that I went to as a teenager. You know, one of the things um, we were talking about on the pod was how New York constantly reinvents itself more than most mm -hmm. other places. And they, just hearing that the cyclical nature of the, you know, it's a city that's always looking for a new place to to congregate. It's one of the places that makes it so unusual. You know, like it's not. I, I don't even think it's necessarily true of San Francisco or D.C., which is where I grew up. You know, there are kind of these these hallowed spaces that stay the same, like whereas New York is constantly moving that epicenter of the next thing all around the city. My first exposure to that idea was when I befriended the Bad Brains in late 79, early 80, and they said they were banned from like the only club in DC. And I said, what do you mean the only club? Um, you know, I was right. 17 years old. The idea that DC had like one club <laughs> <laughs> the bad brains could play when I was going to like 15 different ones in New York was kind of like a, a thunderbolt. Right. Wow. And then, then, of course, they were playing the song Banned in D.C. Yep. And they're coming up to New York every month instead because they sure as hell weren't banned here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the minor threat minor threat was my uh minor threat was my introduction into that whole scene and so bad brands was an instant like that was one of the first connections i made with your magazine is i recognized the title and uh i had yeah. that uh i had that cassette from roar and uh i also have the new york city thrash cassette somewhere in the basement too so 
I've well, got my I've got my even worse notes, track. The liner notes for the Bad Brains Roar record, which was recorded in the summer of '81, I guess you'll see my name on it. I Thanks. sure do. Yeah, because they were living at my house at the time. Unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> I saw. I never saw um, them in full flight. I saw them in uh, oh god, like that that '87 to '88 range. And HR came to my uh, college and did a solo show, which uh, was a hell of a night. But uh, what a great band! When they were recording that album, we would just kind of troop over there to 171A because they had these really dilapidated couches. Okay. It was this long shoebox of a room with a stage at the end, and the Bad Brains were just on the stage, you know, with no audience. Uh-huh. Uh, playing with with full bleed, <laughs> absolute full bleed. No, nothing like blocked off anything. So the guitars were, you know, full of drums in their mics and stuff. But you know, I just sat there with my arms behind my head like this, looking up at them, and going like, "This is how you make an album." <laughs> like, but if you're the bad brains, you can make a record that way because it's completely recorded live. There's uh-huh. very little in the way of overdubs. For the actual band other than the you know vocals were probably redone there's like a bass bass guitar overdub <laughs> right to get some low end in right yeah well he, he did a lead he actually did a lead bass instead of a lead guitar part <laughs> i think it was on it might have been like big takeovers one of those songs was just like this <laughs> i think that one I, I noticed the overdub that well, I'm, I'm wondering about because um, we had to force ourselves to pick some artists um, to, to represent our, our favorite memories of New York. I'm wondering in your long career, how, who were the bands where you were kind of blown away by them in their early iterations? And were you like, oh, this this play, this, these guys are going somewhere or this band is something else? Well, the, there's two answers to that, because um, the one that blew me the way was not an early iteration. It was a band that, in fact, was technically broken up, and yet I got to see them play like 14 times. Oh, wow. And that would be Johnny Thunder's Heartbreakers. Okay. They they broke up, you know, when they left England, having uh, an album that was very hard to find here. It was an English import, and they just kept coming back every time they needed money or Johnny needed money or whatever, so... <laughs> They would play five shows in Max's Kansas City in three nights, one on Thursday and two on Friday and Saturday. And the shows were 10 and one on the weekend. And the opening band would play both shows, too. So the second show would be two o'clock or so. Heartbreakers would go on. Remember, I'm 17, 18 years old in high school. So we'd always go like, oh, we'll just see the first show. Uh Well, we'll leave at 1230 when the first show ends. And then inevitably we would be so excited out of our minds. We just like, oh. The heck with it who needs sleep anyway and we'd, we'd if we were for going there the first times in fact we had to wait for the first train which was six in the morning so wow we'd take the path train out to hoboken at about three in the morning three thirty, and just nurse a coffee at schaefer's all-night restaurant for two and a half hours waiting for the train <laughs> station to open uh, it was great you know it was just absolutely great yeah the band was just stunning. And at Max's Kansas City, that was kind of their ancestral home. And it was the perfect environment for them, the first perfect comfort level, the perfect scene. Mm-hmm. We would get there uh, for the 10 o'clock show. We'd get there about eight or seven uh, an hour before the doors opened because we knew you had to be in the first third of the, of the club to have it really sound great and to be really feeling like you were part of the show. 
and we'd get one of those tables or booths right up near the front and we would just sit there with our mouths open like this i think the heartbreakers and then the bad brains were the two most incredible bands i ever saw for just opening my mouth and leaving it open like awesome. what is this i'm seeing i can't <laughs> believe this that's great. Yeah, those memory, those moments like that are just uh, so indelible. My, since Billy Bragg was on your recent color, cover, that was one of mine. I saw Billy Bragg at the 930 Club, um, maybe 85. And I was like a 15-year-old kid. I was like maybe five feet tall and like 85 pounds. And I was getting crushed in the front. And he just was like, just get up here, mate. And I actually sat on the stage next to the monitor while he played the whole show. And like in between songs, he'd be like, what should I play? He's like, got like all these possibilities. I'm like, do that one. He's like, yeah, I like that one too. He was so good to me. And I just, I love that I just guy. like, I'll never have a moment like that with an artist, you know, especially as some little, you know, kid from the suburbs who's worried his car is not going to be there at the end. And like, but I was, he, I got home. I was in so much trouble. Cause I, I got home at like two 45 in the morning on like a Wednesday night from that show. But it's like, there's no way in hell I'm leaving. Like I'm going to be the <laughs> last the guy stage, out of this place. Yeah. yeah right. It was like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. Excuse me, Bill. I appreciate it. But uh, I got, you know, <laughs> grounded <laughs> Yeah, right. and, and totally worth it. Um, can we ask you when you think about, um, I mean, you're, your magazine is uh, covers, you know, it's like Sherwin Williams. It covers the earth, but New York is so central to its to its understanding of culture. And like, what would you say is New York as a city's most important contribution to either your work as a writer or your outlook or just being a music musician or a music fan? Well, it's funny you say that because uh, I've wondered sometimes whether my publication would would be vastly different. If I was somewhere else, New York does inform my attitude in the sense that I'm a suburban boy. I grew up 20 miles as a crow flies into New Jersey and New York always loomed large to me even before I got anywhere near any kind of punk rock scene, just going to Yankees or Rangers games or something with my dad or going to like, you know, restaurants or whatever. So New York always kind of had this fascination with me to start, but obviously it's a world city. It's a gigantic place. I mean, I go to Montana in the summers. There's like a million people in the entire state. Uh -huh. We've got 8 million or 10 million within the 15 boroughs. miles of me here. Yeah. And that creates a ton of energy apart from, you know, uh, punters who could possibly come see your band play, as they say in England, punters. I always like uh -huh. that phrase. Punters, where's the punters? Why is this place empty? Um that's almost Billy Bragg. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's pretty good. Well, it would have to be much harsher if it was Billy. That was just kind of a standard English accent. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, everybody's going to play New York and everyone has played New York because, you know, if you're in a band, I mean, it's a place to be excited about playing. It's one thing I've always missed being in New York bands is that we couldn't play New York as a band coming from somewhere else and be excited like we're playing one of the most important musical cities in the world right um so when we'd go on tour we'd play places like kansas city in spring house and the place would be dead compared to new york not no no offense it's a pretty good town but compared to new york most towns in this country are kind of dead yeah apart from like you know chicago or uh san francisco or dc or some of these places where there's quite a bit of night culture yeah you know, that the, the evening doesn't end at 6 p.m. when all the gates come down from the businesses as you're pulling in 
in your tour van. <laughs> right. Yeah. So be like, what? This is your big town? It's it's dying. It's six o'clock. <laughs> what what the- you know, at you least you to, don't have to you don't have to drive in unload and drive your fan back out to Hoboken which you have to do now post 9/11. That was the big shock for us playing New York in 2004. We came in for you know they searched the whole thing at the tunnel and then we had to roll in and unload and then send a guy cuz no overnight parking for vans anymore in the city. Oh, wow. so, so at least you don't have to do that. You can just take your your equipment home with you, which is good. That that part is nice, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the last tour we did was only about four dates anyway. Uh, down down to the last date was in D.C. with the Chills at nice. uh, the Black Cat. So, Oh, I love the Black Cat so much. Yeah, and the Chills were just so nice spot. to us. And, you know, D.C. was D.C. was always our best time to play out of town. We always just sell out the 930, which was not common for us. And people actually knew our records, and we got lots of airplay from Dave Marsh. On I guess it was HFS. Is that HFS? WHFS. Yeah. Yeah, I still remember. It's been 30, 30 years. When <laughs> That's very interview. impressive. That's impressive. Well, they'd, they'd have us on the station. They'd interview us. They'd treat us like we were right. important. And you know, it was like the way things should be. It should be like yep. music. Music should dictate. But of course, that's not how it works hmm. in New York. It often does. I mean, we're victims of fashion, like any other place. But because there is such a choice of places you can go to see a group like tonight if i want to see a band i've got like six different choices and friday i'm seeing the house of love and sunday i'm seeing the chills and i just passed up a whole bunch of bands because i'm seeing too many groups this week and i'm freaking you know not 19 years old anymore and i have two kids i know it's really Why am I it going is, out so much anyway it is, it yep. is, the recovery is slower for sure yeah there's well also just you know i've got to get up at 6 40 to help yep. my daughter go to middle school so yeah going getting home at one in the morning is kind of a drudge but uh, <laughs> on the other hand it's just like when we were you know staying up till 2 30 to see the heartbreakers if it's a band i want to see then i should shut my st- stupid mouth and stop complaining because i'm right. lucky to have access to a band from new zealand and uh the house of love we've not played here in 30 years i mean they're going to play new york yeah right. Montana, they're not going to play bozeman or, or nope even let alone Helena where we are it's just it's just a wonderful privilege to be in a place that has a a really vibrant local scene and always had so if you don't want to see a band from out of town you can see somebody that you know or you could meet or see regularly and b will draw people from all over the country and c will draw people from all over the world I mean the groups that I've seen from Australia you know, uh, Europe, Asia, everywhere. It's just remarkable that they come here and they want to come here badly. And if you've been following them like I do, you'll be excited to go see them. Right. Well, so so here's the last question we have for you, Jack. And this one's, I, I don't even know how, where you're going to go with this, but if you think about your your time as a teenager or your time as a musician, your time as a critic, uh, now your your time as a father, uh, cause I'm sure you've seen some shows with your kids. Like, Oh yeah. What, what's my, your... my son has seen like the undertones and the who. <laughs> I seen my yeah. daughter and seen Paul McCartney twice, you know, she's wow. 10 years old. Wow. So uh, you know, it's like good parenting is, uh, I, uh, you know, you don't know what it is until you see it, but I know that's good parenting. That's good right parenting. Yeah. Right I have pictures of my son with Pete Shelley cause he loves the buzzcock. You oh, know? oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We didn't know Pete was going to die. Yeah. You got to so get in while the while the window is open, you know, because the window yeah, shut. Right. If Good you point. could pick one musical memory, a favorite musical memory, 
out of all those time periods in your life, what would you what would you pick that kind of captures New York for you? Oh, that would have to be here in New York. No, well, no, nah, go. Hey, you're the guest. Oddly, I think actually the Black Cat. The first time we played there when we opened for the Chameleons in 2002 on both their reunion tour and our reunion tour was the only time I've ever played a gig where people sang along to oh. um, music that I was involved in. You know, like uh, it didn't happen the rest of that tour. It was only DC. It never happened any other gig we ever did that people were actually singing along with our songs. And I, I sometimes pull out the tape just to prove to myself that I'm just <laughs> remembering it correctly. And you can audibly hear you know, the crowd singing. I'm like, wow, these people missed us. That They're is wonderful. Somewhere in the world, people really like this. Yeah, Again, that's amazing. DC, it's always DC. DC was always <laughs> in a part because all the people I knew down there were people who really knew what time it was musically. You know, like they would talk to me about the Empire album or the Ruts DC album, and I'd be like, I can't find ten people even in New York who have these records, <laughs> and they knew every inch of them, and we were influencing their bands. Even I'm like, well, good for you. In that's in New great. York. I think, um, gosh, there were so many shows that I've seen. There's some of some of them were so revelatory, you know, and some of them just they're really great memories, like seeing Jerry Lee Lewis in his wow. uh, late late prime. Sure, Fats, I saw Fats Domino like six times in two weeks, uh, and what a, what a lovely window and what was happening before I was born. Right, sitting there yeah. talking to Carl Perkins after some of his gigs. You know, like uh, I showed him a picture I took of him and I published in the big takeover. I guess it was about 85 or so. And he said, well, I'll sign that for you if you want. And I said, sure. <laughs> I got a big takeover. <laughs> Carl Perkins signs picture. I took him. Outstanding. You know, the guy's long dead, but Jesus, what a nice fellow he was. Right, right. You know, like, I told him a story. I heard of him when he was invited to a party the, the Beatles were throwing. And he almost didn't get in because, you know, Beatlemania, they were being very careful with security. And he kept tr insisting he'd been invited and they were like turning him away. And like, uh, as he's walking away, like Ringo Starr comes to the door and goes like, hey, Mr. Perkins. <laughs> <laughs> they never even met him, you know. Like, he's okay. Let him in. And then, <laughs> Mr. And he, Perkins. Yeah. They, they, they let him in. And then, you know, he's like the guest of honor. The rest of the party, they're all fawning. Right. They think he's like, you know, um, the greatest thing since sliced bread oh, that is awesome. things like that you know just are amazing to me because i grew up with the beatles i was in their fan club when i was six because they were still a band right you know, they weren't a hallowed you know iconography they were a band making albums that i was buying it was a nice right. thing to do when you were in, in like first grade or whatever but <laughs> um i think that i often think of that just because it was a chance to see someone else's scene Right. that happened before me as far as my own generation i think because it was the first gigs that i saw but seeing the talking heads with xtc in 1978 was kind of mind-blowing just because it was so different from what i've been seeing on like don kirshner's rock concert or something yeah, yeah. it was a totally different attitude let alone an actually live thing as opposed to seeing it on tv and it was there was so much mystery in live rock music in the late 70s because there was no videos yet uh -huh. and there was almost no place to see bands except at the really popular ones who get on saturday night live or yep kirshner or midnight special 
So most of the time, the only thing you ever saw of a band was still photography. And then you'd go to the gig and they'd actually move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> you, know, you almost expected them to just be stick figures just standing there like this yeah. and moving, you know, while the record played or something. In black and white, right? Yeah. Uh, awesome. And, you know, Devo at the Palladium was really kind of eye-opening in a way, even though I wasn't their biggest fan. I liked them quite a lot. And it was just great to see them put on the kind of show that they put on. It was really kind of like mind searching the concepts the evolution and the the way they would present themselves it was kind of futuristic i thought at the time and it was really great fun befriending the local bands particularly the stimulators and the bad brains and the mad because those are the bands i saw the most they uh -huh. had a scene around them so you just would go i mean the bad brains in particular because you would just go even if there was no scene at all even if they invited you to rehearsal you'd be like oh yeah <laughs> well, well, tell me where to go and what time you know yeah, i'll be there great. but it was a great hang I, i'd be remiss for example later when i wasn't a teenager i'd be remiss if i didn't mention maxwell's because although max's was the greatest club I was ever in. Maxwell's was the greatest hang I ever had. And I think that's been said by a thousand people. Like bands that had no business playing there because they were way too popular would not only keep coming back, but be bemused by the idea they had to walk through the crowd to get to the stage. You know, <laughs> the backstage that's and, the greatest that's yeah. the greatest gig of my life for sure was playing Maxwell. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was wonderful. Like people perfect like, room. Yep. People would be patting like, you know, Pete Shelley on the back or something or yeah, wow. or, or, uh, or uh, Mr. Colin Newman as, you know, wires going to the stage. They'd just be patting him on the back or on the head or something. He's like, <laughs> yeah, hello? <laughs> yeah. You know, but it was that kind of attitude is really homey place and they'd feed yeah. the bands. And it was a very different gig for a lot of people. I think Ride was the only band I ever saw that really hated it. <laughs> just too much, too much uh, access. More, more like uh, they had this giant light show they brought in 1991 oh, when they were like, right. 20 years old, and they they, they kept um, they kept cutting the power out. Yeah, <laughs> they overloaded. So like they were playing this song called "Dreams Burn Down," and the power just cuts out. Right, in the I go, well, the dreams sure burned down that one. <laughs> more like the power burned it down from your yeah. you know, gigantic psychedelic light show. But apart from that, it seemed like everybody loved the place and would keep coming back. And they would get all the money too, which yeah. is for clubs. The, the the players would just say, "Here's what we took in the door. We took out a little for the doorman and the sound man. You get everything else." And they're just like, yeah. "What? Yeah, that, that <laughs> we got like two thousand dollars for this tiny yeah. little place? Really? Right? Yeah. It was a it was a totally different attitude, and and just being across the river was a lot more relaxed. Whereas New York sometimes could be like this real scene store thing, but. Mm -hmm. I saw so many gigs in my life that really just completely did the business for me. The Ramones, the times I saw them, they were blisteringly loud. The Clash at the Palladium, those three or four times in 79 and 80. You know, these are monumental gigs in my right. mind. Uh, of course, when you're young, you think things are monumental. But I just knew, even then, I knew what I was seeing was my generation's iteration of James Brown. And mm -hmm. the in the 60s and uh -huh. Lee Lewis in his prime and uh, Ike and Tina Turner, you know, the, the absolute phenomenons um, of live music of that time, you know, Marvin Gaye or whatever, the people who just put on a show, you just couldn't believe you saw it. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have the films of those people uh -huh. in there. 
So it's not just merely reputation. We can see how they were absolute cut above. Oh, yeah. You uh, you put um, out of sight on a recent show from the Tammy show, James and Brown. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just it's one of the great YouTube clips of all time. They're just beyond belief. Right. Know? That this is what people saw when they saw, you know, the famous flames in 1962, 63, 64, yeah. as a matter of course. And that's why I felt about the Heartbreakers and the Bad Brains and the Clash and DOA. God, every time I saw that original line of DOA, they just floored me. Uh, Echo and the Bunnymen in the first couple albums, just, you know, playing over the wall. And I'm just standing there going like, how do you do that? Yeah. Play a drum cadence like that, Pete DeFrida's. Why is your neck, neck snapping off? <laughs> and they put his drums in the front of the stage, too. It wasn't like the usual setup. So you could right. be four feet from Pete DeFrida's watching his neck snap while he's playing over the wall. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. That's amazing. Like solid minutes. I know I'm a drummer, but, you know, when I see guitar players or bass players do things that wow me, like the first time I saw the Minutemen, you know, watching uh. Like what man handle a bass? Like how do you play like that? And then I saw it again with Tufty from Toxic Reasons. Like what are you doing in these bands? You guys should be like playing with like Jaco Pastorius or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Thank God Watt didn't do that though. No, but oh, I mean, yeah. that level of musicianship. Yeah, just applied to punk rock was really something else. Right. But the thing that you and Watt also have in common is that um, you're building like the what, one of the things I felt I always feel reading the big table. Obviously, there's your unbelievable passion for art and for music, but it's also your there's a passion here for connection, right? Like one of the things that makes Watt so special is he's an unbelievable performer, and then he's out hanging out in his van afterwards, just wanting oh. to meet people, wanting to connect, not just artistically, but in a you know in terms of humanity, and that's. For me, what makes your magazine and now your show is so special is like there's a there's an invitation for self-reflection built into all the criticism, built into all the curation. Um, and I that's for me what separated the magazine all these years from so many other, you know, like when I read Pitchfork, there's nothing about Pitchfork that says, hey, we want to be in conversation with you. Let's build something together. I get this like you know, I feel like they're gatekeepers. There's a velvet rope on that magazine, on that on that uh, thing. And the big takeover is exactly the opposite. The big takeover is like, this is, you're already on the list and you can come in the side door and let's sit down and talk about this shit. Mr. Perkins. Yeah, you can come up on the stage and tell me yeah. what's yeah. up. Exactly right. Exactly right. All right. Well, that's not a human corn, this. <laughs> what do you Jack, want? we can't thank you enough for your time, man. This has just been just been great everybody uh everybody hit pause subscribe to the big takeover subscribe to the to the radio show you will not be disappointed it's like uh if there were phds in american music history uh jack would be professor emeritus so you All should right. get on it now and and what now it's, uh how many how many shows is it 400 <laughs> in a row and counting is that right Four hundred the radio show 403 yeah I even the funniest one was in July. I produced a show with COVID, and I was completely comatose, but I was <laughs> determined. So I just I just kept it to absolute minimum. I felt like I could at least mix the show. Just the voiceovers would be real short, and you, you can barely hear me because my voice is so messed up. Uh, I'm like I'm apologizing. I'm sorry. It sounds so terrible, but you know the music <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. And we apologize for our show every week. I know. Yeah, I that's know what right. that's about. Believe well, the music me. didn't have COVID. 
Yeah. <laughs> it sounded the same as it as it. <laughs> <laughs> so All right. Doing the show. Hey, well, you know, it's nice of you to connect with me too. It's an attitude that's certainly not unique to me. Um, music scenes have always been a really great hang. If yep. that's, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. TV Smith told me this when I complained about the pitchfork of their day, which was Julie Birchall and Tony Parsons. Yeah, work of the late seventies. And I complained to that to TV Smith when I was a younger person that I thought that was the wrong attitude, that kind of holier than thou kind of attitude. Although Pitchfork's much better, <laughs> they actually yeah. you know really really care about the music too. Yeah, even they though. do. And so I've always given Pitchfork that. Whereas I got the feeling that Birchall and Parsons they were only there to rank on people and build themselves up and be uh. cooler, cool. And so he goes like, yeah, you know, well, they were there in 77, those two, but they were always in the back scowling and me and Gay and all the other punks were in the front row at other people's gigs, having ourselves a blast. Having a <laughs> time. And I said, yeah, exactly. You know, music is a great time. It's not escapism to me. It can be escapism, but it it's actually better when it's not. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. all art, you know, like, uh, whether it's something really serious like Guernica, where you're contemplating, you know, bombs falling on innocent Spanish people. Right. Or something, you know, completely dopey and stupid and funny, like, you know, beat on the brat with the baseball bat. <laughs> the yep. art has room for all that expression of the human condition. And yeah. it's wonderful that you can connect on at that level and then share that connection with someone else. And then you feel like you're part of something even if we're just having a drink in a bar, you know, that's yeah. life is really short. We've yeah. been a lot of my favorite artists and musicians, like on a freaking weekly basis lately. And I'm reminded again, you know, like I'm glad I've not wasted all these years. I've been glad I've been having a blast and right. And having this extra meaning to my life. And the club scene in New York has been really helpful in that regard, because if you want to just sit at home listening to records. It's nice. But then you go out and you see the band and you meet like, yeah. well, and then like, wow, this is great. This is even nothing better. like it. Nothing yeah. like it. Awesome. Awesome. All Jack, right. thank you so much. This thank is fantastic. You. Great meeting you, Jack. Uh, nice to have me on. Yeah. You yeah. Bet. And uh, I'll be in touch. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll let you know uh, <laughs> what I love from your next show for sure. So All please. Right. I'll probably play a Billy Bragg song and dedicate it to you. I yeah, would love it. That will be, be fantastic. What would it be, though? Will it be You Woke Up My Neighborhood? Uh, will it be, uh, um, gosh, I don't know. There's so many good choices. It's so a many good ones. <laughs> I was, there was Talking With The Tax Man was my, was my, uh, oh, was okay. my first one. So New Brunette was that. I was, I was hooked from the first eight seconds of that, that song. So. He did it last Sunday too. It was good. Did he? Oh, that's awesome. Jolie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, I heard that record. I said, first of all, these are the greatest songs I've ever heard. And second, if he can sing, I can sure as hell sing. Give me a break. I obviously love his accent. I'm glad that he's never. Yeah, me too. Good. Sing in your normal voice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye now. Uh, thanks, Ben. 
Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.